Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которые очертила десница Твоя для поклонения святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим Святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки. Веди его рукою превознесенную. Великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь. Можете садиться. Небес, где живет Творец, имею 
пути встречаю, но я знаю, что я скоро отогну. После всех свиданий Be the king. 
And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar to us place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The many things that have not yet been revealed, but can be still and will be revealed, Matthew 5, 45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. Understandably, this command is something that surpasses the human intellect because the intellect can't imagine that it in the body, the body can be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. However, Jesus would never have called us to something that we're not able to achieve, a goal that we're not able to achieve. And so this promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, this required commandment affects our salvation. We stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets in which we died by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected, and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life, so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the past law, but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4.13 We know that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent, together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God to us and is our head. If such a person is not existent in, existing in the church, then such a church will never be able to uh, get to the gates of, of heaven. They will end up in a ditch. If this person is not someone sent by God and is leading the church, does not have revelations that are given to him by God, to be a father is to present the seed of the word. And, and if such a person doesn't receive these kinds of revelations from the Lord, then this person that would be leading this church will lead these people into a ditch. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God, in accordance to which God sends us his word by the mouth of his delegated people.
Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which is the spoken word of God's delegated ones. Again, I will remind us that our faith is our obedience to the word of God. The faith of God is the word of God. Faith is from hearing the word of God. And so there is God's faith. This is the word of God that we hear by his delegated ones that preach if a person thinks that he already understands something he doesn't know that this word this book is sealed outside and inside and to read it and understand is something that is given to people that have delegation from the Lord to do this and those people that are in spirit the same spirit with this person to examine a person as to whether he truly is sent by God to present to us his word is to be done by the power of delegation within the implemented by God order and by the existing within our heart anointing to identify the voice of God in the mouth of that person who is supposed to represent the fatherhood of God to us. 1 John 2, 18 through 26, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, anti is one that is against Christ. Even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. Paradox, incredible, but the Antichrist don't come out of the world, don't come from the world, they come out of the church and from the church. These are what, who the Antichrists are, they went out from us, they made their own services, formed their own services, they have formed their own bundles and they came out from us or any other churches, churches, congregations, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all these things. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. By the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace demonstrated in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of a man evidence of the fact that he is a child of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God containing the complex of all of the promises of God that when accomplished is the goal of the given to us righteousness. By the means of righteousness, we are called to obtain peace with God and any promise. <clears throat> Therefore, it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6-7. With thanksgiving to open up your request, to reveal your request, that's having a strong confidence uh, that everything you are asking for is already upon our account. Everything we ask for is already upon our account in Christ Jesus. And there, the responses are as well. So we, with thanksgiving, need to open our requests, having the confidence we have them already. A legitimate thanksgiving will take from the account what we ask for and will give to us from that account 
not when we desire, how we desire, and the order in which we desire, but when God desires it and the way God desires it. We can't say that I want God to heal me now. I'm going to go to the pastor. He's going to pray, put his hand on me, and I'll become healed, and he'll anoint me with oil, and I'll be healed. Yes, this sometimes happens, but this is an exception to the rule. Healing is a therapy. This is serving one another. God wanted to heal us according to his requirements and not all exception to the rule which does sometimes happen. God heals by his personal fa- a person's personal faith and the faith of pa- the pastor sometimes. Jesus, if, as you remember, it's written that he saw their faith. He saw the faith of the people where they brought the cripple to them and uh, he wasn't able to walk. Jesus did not have the right to heal as he wanted to, when he wanted to, and who he wanted to. God told him, son, you will heal this person according to their faith and this one you'll heal according to your own faith and this one you will heal only one from the multitude although everyone was in need of healing but you will heal him because he repented his illness was a result of a sin and he needed 40 years 40, 48 years to 38 years to be able to uh, acknowledge a sin and he finally acknowledged a sin and so he sends Jesus to Bethesda and there were many people sick there but he healed just the one man we need to understand that and agree uh, that when God sees our humility when we come before him when we ask with thanksgiving and with thanksgiving we already receive the response that Lord possibly by the hands of a doctor possibly in some other way you will heal me but we need to know that many things a righteous prayer that the prayer of a righteous man can do the peace of God that is able to guard our thoughts in Christ Jesus our thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind which is the mind of Christ in our spirit for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can be so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God Romans 8 6 through 8 and so one who lives this is one who who meditates and thinks in his mind according to this statement we conclude that people who have rejected the condition where the truth of the preached word in the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind have no connection to the peace of God and are not able to have it and consequently such people have no connection and cannot have a connection to the sons of peace either that by the means of the peace of God would inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven we need to apprehend well that it is only by the collaboration of our spirit with our renewed mind that is within Christ Jesus that we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ therefore to look at the righteousness of faith so we bring about the inheritance of the peace of God and look at the conditions outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace so that our minds would be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect we have been studying the following question by what signs are we able to determine examining ourselves that we are sons of peace 
as well as the sons of God. Because it is by the reign of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. With this we have noted that if a person has not died for his nation, for the house of his father, or for his fleshly life, by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, then his justification which he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee will never convert into the quality and format of righteousness by which he would be able to receive the ability to be clothed into the promise of the peace of God so that he in righteousness would bear fruits of peace, which is why the prepared for them crown of righteousness will be taken from such people, giving them the right to, to the promise of peace where they can be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11 We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God receives its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which places responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side or participant of the covenant is responsible for fulfilling their role that is implemented by God that are written in these obligations of the covenant. And if either of the sides violates the conditions that were agreed upon in the covenant of peace between God and man, we know that such a violator can only be a man, then the other side, being God, is released or freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the conditions of the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness identified as the peace of God within our heart is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace that serves as grounds or basis for God so that he would fulfill his part contained in the covenant of peace, which consists of leading us into the inheritance of his Son, so that we would share with him the fulfillment of all things that are written about him in the lost prophets and psalms, because the justification that we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into the quality and format of righteousness, where we have obtained the ability to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12:14. Here it's talking about a unique and supernatural peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression and demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Romans 12:18. If it is possible, that means that it's not always possible to be to live peaceably with all men. Therefore, the peace that we dare by the inspiration of our mind to demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness will be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness for which we will be required to pay a price of eternal life because our communication with people that the scriptures identify as evil company will corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. 
Do not be deceived, Apostle Paul writes, evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. And so people that play with this and say nothing bad will happen, these are my previous friends, these are my relatives or someone else, if these people are a part of the corrupt company, they will corrupt your good habits, and if you will not acknowledge this, then you don't know God. Therefore, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the wicked who support the unclean, who in their time accepted the truth, but then left their church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them. The very fact of the rebellion and their resistance against the words spoken by God's delegated ones that are placed over them testify of the loss of peace within their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20-21. You, uh, you need to listen, I turn here, not so much to the church here, but those who may hear me, if you are rebellious in your church, if you're not happy with the order of service, if you're not happy with the choir, your pastor, with their helpers, you are in the category of the lawless and wicked, because you don't have peace. If you don't have peace between husband and wife, between pa parents and children, between each, amongst each other, you are lawless. You are within that ca category of the lawless. There's no peace there. The peace of God is not able to be broken in any way. Yes, people will rebel against you, will criticize you, speak evil against you, but you will continue to be at peace. You will be at uh, immovable, so to say. In a specific format, we have already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. This is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God. Selective means holy. Holiness is always something that separates. It's, it separates, it chooses. It doesn't love everyone altogether the same, but chooses who to love and who to hate. Jacob he loved, Esau he hated, even in the womb. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It's talking about godly love, agape. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3.14.15 We've noted that according to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart and we will be clothed into the selective love of God. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehending for the human mind goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God. Since in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind, goals and works of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God, or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect.
небесные. To shine with your sun upon the righteous and unrighteous and pour out your rains upon the just and unjust. To bless the righteous and the just and unrighteous and unjust to curse. Of course, people that are not agreeing to this are already in the category of people that are lawless because God being a just God, in nature, he can't love the righteous and unrighteous the same. He clearly states that he loves those who love him and hates those who hate him, and that he sends his clouds and they go according to his command and pour out rain for to, to punish the one and bless the other. And if we want to bless everyone the same, then we will resist God's will that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is that width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God Ephesians 3 16 through 19 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened it, this means he is speaking to the church that was in Ephesian or in Galatian. These are people that were baptized by the Holy Spirit, practicing spiritual gifts, but Christ was not yet living within their heart. They did not have the Spirit of God. They spoke in tongues, but they did not have the Spirit. It's rare when Pentecostals know about this, that speaking in tongues, you it's possible not to have the Spirit of God. They think if they speak in tongues that they have the Spirit of God. Then I ask them, so when you speak in tongues, who's speaking, the Holy Spirit or you? It is your spirit that speaks. Being baptized by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives your spirit the ability so that your spirit would communicate with God in tongues. When I speak in spirit, with my spirit not with the Holy Spirit I can't pray uh, using the Holy Spirit I can pray with him but not using him just like I can't use one of you to pray even uh, understanding uh, the understanding of it doesn't make sense it's not possible you can pray in the Holy Spirit but not by him or using him. You pray with your spirit, your spirit prays, and your mind remains fruitless in that moment. So when people accept the Holy Spirit being infants, spiritually infants, they don't accept him as Lord and Master. They accept the guarantee of the Spirit. You, it's written, you have received the guarantee of the Spirit, and the guarantee is not the Holy Spirit. When you purchase a house or a car and you uh, pay, put down a down payment, that means that you begin the process of uh, making this house or car or any other purchase your own. You begin the process of so that the Holy Spirit would come as the Lord in your life would knock upon your heart and he will only knock upon a wise heart, not a foolish heart. So to come to more uh, practical conclusions when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the spoken words of the apostles and prophets. 
Second Peter 1, 2 through 8, this is virtue. These are qualities are here. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. We note that first each of these seven qualities of the fruits of virtue contain the characteristics of all of the rest of the qualities as they flow one from the other, complete or support one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection and example inherent to the essence of God. The, these are characteristics that we're listing here. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises given to us in Christ Jesus and by Christ Jesus. Fourth, the given qualities are the imperishable treasure and wealth with which we need to become rich. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Sixth, the means that we are to utilize for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Seventh, then, by inheriting these great and precious promises, we become a part of God's divine nature. Since the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. It is the selective love of God and the format of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that has called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person. The quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with the tolerant love of man. Because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues, qualities, and characteristics of our Heavenly Father and is all-consuming holiness, and all that comes from God, because God is love. And more specifically, holy love separated from all that man calls love. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. It's not unconditional in general, it's unconditional when it comes to these seven qualities. <coughs> Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes or goals of a man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes. Here is the reason, there's a reason, there's a saying, love is foolish that you can even love a goat. It's blind. God's love sees all things. It's not blind. This is what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. It is identified in many places of scripture, but here's one of those. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most, ve a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. Here it's talking about the love of God, agape. The measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil.
You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1.9. This is also taken from the 45th Psalm. The Lord te tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. God loves the one and hates the other. So how is it that you say we need to love everyone? Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11, 5 through 7. His countenance beholds the upright means he loves and shows favor to the upright. Only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we demonstrate God's reaction to good and evil. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father. Considering that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon. We can't find these definitions in the dictionaries. If we look in the dictionary what knowledge, self-control is, uh, loving kindness, all these uh, brotherly kindness, they will explain them, but they won't explain them correctly because only the scriptures can identify what they are. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all the love of God. Agape is a sovereign love which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. Here's why, for knowing and predestining, he, he loved the one, Jacob, and hated the other, Esau, because he knew that Esau would refuse or reject his birthright. To reject your birthright is to re reject uh, the idea to be placed into Christ. When we allow the Holy Spirit upon His conditions, working with God's conditions to place us into Christ, only Christ is the firstborn. And when we are in Christ, we are firstborn with Him. And when people uh, forsake this for something uh, meaningless, God hates such people, which is why He hated Esau. Ahead of time, He knew that He would reject His birthright, and Jacob, not having this birthright, would take it because he loved the birthright and was ready to pay any price for it, which is why he became firstborn in Jesus Christ. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Because of his sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects, and never allows her own, her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated. When he knocks upon the door, the door will be open and he will enter. Sometimes uh, parents not knocking upon their door uh, just open the door and come in. But you should knock upon the door to let them know that you're coming in. You don't need to just walk in whenever. Learn some humility and, and respect the sovereign right of your children as well. 
God never allows her, uh, his sovereign rights within his boundaries to be violated, those boundaries identified as his burning holiness. And don't allow your children to violate your own sovereign rights as well. And not just children, don't allow your pastor, your leaders, your president, not any authority, don't allow them to violate your sovereign rights. We can be obedient to all authority only within the boundary of Scripture. Scripture, the commandments of God, they are those sovereign boundaries, and no one can enter through these boundaries trying to violate them. I will not fulfill anybody, anyone's requests when they're trying to violate this be a father, mother, a president, whoever it may be be the pastor, be an apostle, if an apostle is violating uh, or a pastor or apostle uh, to violate, that's their problem and not our own, but we shouldn't allow that. Oftentimes people say, pastor needs to know everything. Pastor needs to know everything about his mem the members of his church. And I said, where did you get this idea? If he's not being told, then he doesn't need to know. A person comes to me and says, Pastor, pray, I am going to go on vacation. I pray and then they ask me, where should I go? Where did he go? And I say, I don't know where he's going. Uh, I was asked by other people, where did this person go on vacation? I say, I don't know. I'm not going to ask him if he's not telling me. If he chose to tell me, I would know. But if he, I can ask somebody very maybe close to me uh, that knowing if I ask them that I'm not going to be violating their, their, their boundary. But if a person's not very close to me, I won't be asking such a... If a person doesn't want to reveal his sins to me, then I will not pressure him to or request that he do that, saying Holy Spirit is revealed to me. Even when the Holy Spirit reveals it to me, a sin of another, he forbids me uh, to violate the, the boundaries of this person and tell him, I know your sin. I just need to tell a person so that he may repent, find the right words, that he not even know that I know his sin. And then it will be correct. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God and the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and stopped to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of great godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 Therefore, by demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identify the true quality of the love of God agape within the heart of a man, in his words, his actions, and the manner in which they dress. And I would say it's very important the manner in which a person dresses that is not supposed to prompt instincts of the opposite gender or sex, which today is a calamity. People come to the church naked or undressed, uh, very overtight uh, in uh, clothing, and this is shame. You come to worship God.
You prompt the instincts of the opposite gender, the, the weak, people of the, that may be in the flesh that have not yet been grown spiritually so that they be perfect and would be not look at your uh, revealed uh, body. In Scripture, the meaning contained in the virtue godliness describes the legitimate relationship of the saints and God bound together in a mutual union or covenant. Furthermore, the essence of the selective love of God in godliness is determined and demonstrated in mutual obligation of God and man, outlined and made perpetual by God in a mutual covenant of peace with God. Further, we note that there is a fundamental difference between the goodness of God in his faith toward man and the godliness of a man which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God. For example, the godliness of a man in Hebrew is his favor to God, a man's grace to God and his thanksgiving. Godliness of a man is his ability to visit the fatherless and widow in their hardship and keep yourself from being defiled by the world. The godliness of a man is to imitate Christ and meditate about the things of the hills. The godliness of a man is seeking God in his good, acceptable, and perfect will. The godliness of God when it comes to man is his goodness. This is his favor and his grace toward a man that has shown, a man who's shown favor and grace to God. So, grace for grace. And so, thanksgiving for thanksgiving, favor for favor. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. If you will seek me, you will find me. And so, the favor of God is always a response of the favor a person is shown to God. The godliness of God is his mercifulness toward man. The godliness of God is his thanksgiving. His, this is a responsive thanksgiving. This is his good work and his good acts as a response to a person, his kindness in the absolute sense of the word. The goodness of God and his favor toward man is an uncomprehending and inaccessible for the mind of man kindness of God identified in his good, acceptable, and perfect will, which was formed in the entrails of the Heavenly Father and elevated by him as the law of grace in the form of his commandment, which God has magnified above all his names and placed himself in dependence from his word contained in his commandment. And so he voluntarily again placed himself in dependence of his word. If God speaks any word, he, spe he places himself in dependence of that word and becomes a servant of his words and is vigilant that it be fulfilled timely. He loves his word so much that the word is how his word is, is how God is. God's nature is his words. The Old as well as the New Testament identified the virtue of the love of God in the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of God himself which defends and makes the sincere love of God impossible for counterfeit and falsification. Aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness, there is also a counterfeit form of godliness that exists as well that conflicts with or resists the true form of godliness in the body of Christ having a form of godliness 
godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. 2 Timothy 3.5 True godliness in man perfectly differentiates or identifies a counterfeit form of godliness in man, and with disdain, true godliness breaks all react, uh, relations or contact with them, and distances itself from them as it reveres and trembles before all the dictations of God, and possesses discipline capable of fulfilling these dictations with great accuracy. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. Relevant to this, we need to answer four classical questions. What are the characteristics of both God and man in Scripture? What purpose does godliness have within the relationship of God with man and man with God? What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God? And by what signs? and again or our favor with God's favor and by what signs do we need to determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God in a specific format as much as the Lord has allowed and the measure of our faith we have already looked at the first two questions and stopped to study the third question what conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our own godliness with the goodness of God or attract the favor of God upon ourselves. Relevant to this, we have studied a series of conditions that we need to fulfill in order to turn or attract God's goodness upon us in his favor. Today we will pay attention to fulfill the next condition that is called to draw the goodness of God upon us in his favor. This is the necessity to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord and bear the yoke in your youth. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. In order to draw the goodness or favor of God upon yourself, in the selective love of God, it is necessary to bear the yoke in your youth so you can quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. This was written in Lamentations 3.26.27. The key phrase that we will pay attention to in the given place of Scripture is wait quietly for salvation, bear the yoke in your youth, and the goodness of God for those who bear the yoke and, and wait quietly. If a person will not wait for the salvation of the Lord quietly, then such a person, instead of drawing the favor of God, God will draw the wrath and anger of God, and the reason for why a person cannot wait for salvation from the Lord quietly is his refusal or his indesire to carry the yoke offered to him in his youth. According to the stated condition linked to drawing God's favor upon ourselves, we need to look at about what format of salvation is it referring to that we need to wait for quietly in order to draw the favor of God upon ourselves. What nature of yoke is it referring to? To, and what nature of youth in which we need to bear the yoke so that we can learn to quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord and in doing so draw God's favor upon ourselves. Third, what nature of goodness is it referring to being a response to those that quietly wait for salvation? And fourth, how should we understand quiet waiting, the waiting of the offered format of salvation?
By answering this question correctly, we can determine as to whether we will receive the weighted format of salvation in the favor of God, or the opposite will prompt the wrath of God upon ourselves because we refuse the saving will of God regarding ourselves. First question, about what format of salvation is it referring to, that we need to wait for quietly in order to draw the favor of God upon ourselves and receive what is being waited for? The format of salvation that we need to wait for quietly is the format of hope containing the oath promise of God which we which is our inheritance in Christ Jesus called to fulfill be fulfilled in a future time because patience or quietly waiting is linked to hope we are waiting we are being patient and we have hope for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do see, do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Romans 8, 24, 25. The format of hope of our salvation in the form of the promise that needs to come about in the future that we need to wait for quietly is the deliverance of our earthly body from the power of the old person who is given power from the law of God given by Moses. And so the power of the old person is given from the law of law of Moses. The, the strength of sin is the law, 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The format of salvation when we're talking about rapture, this rapture is not what we were wait here for in time or here on earth. This salvation is the deliverance of our bodies from the old person. Second, what nature of yoke is it referring to and what nature of youth in which we need to bear the yoke so that we can learn to quietly wait for salvation of the Lord and in doing so draw God's favor upon ourselves. The biblical definition of the understanding of youth where a person is offered a specific yoke or a specific burden this is a sober youth where a person finds satisfaction in being dependent on the will of his father and is a student of his father capable of understanding and assessing or evaluating to identify the yoke offered to him by his father as well as the purpose of this yoke my son if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you, to deliver you from the way of evil, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. This is not infancy, uh, youth, this is a soberness. Soberness in Christ is eternally uh, youthful. She forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Previously, she was led by it and knew it. For her house leads down to death and her path to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the path of life.
Proverbs 2, 1 through 19. The symbol of the woman of another is a symbol of a satanic group or people that came out from us, forsaking the companion of their youth in the form of that person that presents the fatherhood or parentage of God, and began to call themselves Jews, but in essence are not Jews, as reigning sin became their husband in the form of the old person to whom they've become subject to. They became free from being servants of righteousness. Second youth is the time, this is what the, uh, in Hebrew, is the time when a person came out of spiritual infancy, which is why he received the ability from God to make a decision to take upon himself a yoke, because infants don't carry a yoke, but when you, in your youth, that means you are sober, you're, you're mature, in your youth, upon your himself to take a yoke identified as the will of God in order to learn patience in waiting for the promise to him salvation. I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Deuteronomy 30:19-20. David, in one of his prayer psalms, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, calls the yoke that he bears from his youth, trusting upon the Lord, which is founded upon hoping upon the Lord. For you are my hope, O Lord God, you are my trust from my youth. Psalm 71:5. <clears throat> and so the yoke of the Lord is trust. According to the definition of the essence of youth, it becomes clear also the identification of the essence of yoke, called upon practice to teach us to wait quietly for the fulfillment of the promise to us hope. First, yoke is a burden or weight of responsibility understood and received by us for fulfilling our role to deliver our earthly body from the stronghold of death and corruption. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's talking about what's here on earth and not what will be in heaven. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 11:28 through 30 Until we receive the promise for the salvation of our body, from the old person with his deeds in Christ Jesus and will clearly write it upon the tablets of our heart, our soul will not be able to have the legal basis to receive rest in Christ Jesus. Second, yoke is such a burden where the slander spoken against our Lord falls on us. This is a privilege which means that the yoke is the temptations and sorrows that we overcome, but again as a privilege that we consciously overcome, because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me, when I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became 
That became my reproach. I also made sackcloth my garment, and I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards. Psalm 69, 9-12. This is talking about Christ and about David and every one of us. Considering that in order to bear the yoke of slanderers, or in this case reproachers spoken against our Lord, when the f- when the, they fall upon us, bearing this yoke indicates the collaboration of carrying our cross with the cross of Christ. Their yoke is a symbol of the collaboration and carrying of our cross with the cross of Christ, due to which we die for the law, by the law, to live for the one who died and resurrected. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. And I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Galatians 2, 19-21. Here's how this process where we die for the law, by the law, is described by the Holy Spirit in the life of David. I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. An infant, again, spiritual infant, will not experience this. this, You need to be a mature person. I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors, and I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They come around me all the day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Psalm 88, 15 through 17. Here's how this very same process where we die for the law by the law is presented in the direct words of Christ. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke 14. 26 through 33. Here it's not talking about everybody as brothers, sisters, parents, but those who knew the truth and went against it. Third question, what nature of goodness is it referring to being a response to those that quietly wait for salvation? The nature of good or favor of God sent upon man that bears the yoke from his youth and waiting quietly for the promised to him salvation is the response of God in time to the waited by man promised to him salvation, where the patience or waiting of a person became a perfect act where he would please God. Therefore, upon practice, the goodness of God is the response of God to the patient waiting for the fulfillment of the oath promise here on earth that is clearly written upon the tablets of our heart. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them, Exodus 2, 24-25. If in their groaning the sons of Israel would not have brought forth before God their foundation of the oath covenant, which he made with their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that was clearly written upon the tablets of their heart, God would not have had any basis or grounds to hear them and to send upon them his favor or goodness. The promise that is clearly written upon the tablets of our heart is the faith of our heart that is pleasing to God and is identified in Scripture as our goodwill towards God. The faith of the heart, when we receive what God tells us and we receive it, God 
values this as favor we have for him. If we don't accept God's uh, preached word, if we accept his his words as preached word, we show our favor to God. The nature of favor that it's referring to is the goodness of God, which is a response to the favor or goodness of a person toward God that is demonstrated in his heart in God's promises that is written clearly upon his heart. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the when it says who reads it, it means the Lord, because the Lord will fulfill only those promises for us that are clearly clearly written upon our heart. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2, 1 through 4. Fourth, how should we understand quiet waiting, the waiting of the offered format of salvation? It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke of his youth. Lamentations 3, 26, 27. And so, waiting for the offered promise contained in the deliverance of our body from the old person with his deeds that is supported by organized powers of darkness, we can receive and obtain this when we quietly and patiently wait for this promise here on earth. If we, waiting for this promise, force the salvation of our body from the law of sin and death, but we're impatient, then we are not within the legitimate uh, field or violate the law that is implemented by God in order to obtain his favor. We sing one of the songs and the words, I wait for you a long time impatiently. And this is not uh, acceptable. I need to wait for you. Uh, I've been waiting for you a long time in patience. We need to change that uh, sentence. Because there we're saying that we're impatient. It's not pleasant for to God if we wait with impatience. It's people say such things, but it's written, it's good for the one that waits patiently and quietly. Therefore, looking at this place of scripture, we're talking about a nature of uh, waiting or patience that has the basis of hope upon God and peace in God, by God and in God. Why does a person wait impatiently? Because he's not at peace. He's not. He doesn't have peacefulness. He does not have hope. If he has peace in God and has hope upon God, he will not be waiting impatiently. He'll wait patiently. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But 
drawing back is waiting impatiently but we are not of not of those who draw back to perdition but of those who believe to the saving of the soul Hebrews 10 35-39 drawing back is losing confidence in the received promise which brings about unrest or disquiet irritation and discouragement understanding the meaning of the patience of Christ necessary for the fulfillment or coming about of our salvation of our body where we're called to deliver be delivered from the stronghold of death so that we may wreck the stronghold of life here on earth before we will be raptured and meet the Lord in the air. Apostle uh, James spoke these words, James 1, 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. This yoke that we carry, it produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James 1, 2 through 4. This very thought is more than once pl uh, mentioned by Apostle Paul where he convinces the church that to her, for the sake of Christ, is given the ability to believe but also to suffer. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us, Romans 5, 1 through 5. And so summing up this place, this subject where God responds with his favor to the favor of a man, if a person due to his ignorance, which is always an act of his stiff neck, will refuse to carry the yoke or bear the yoke that is offered to him in his youth, he will lose then his salvation and will turn God's wrath and anger upon himself. Right now we are going to pray. Our time is up. And all those who desire to resist the impatience in them, we always want something immediate and quick. We never say, Lord, may it be according to your will. How you will do it, let it be so. We want it immediate and we want it right now. But when we'll be calmed in God, then everything we ask for will be responded to already. Let us bend our knees and I ask everyone who may be bound by fear, sin, I will ask you to come out here and we will pray for you. God is able to deliver you from the power of sin. God is able to deliver you from the power of illness, from fear, from shame. He's here for that reason, to prepare you for rapture. And this preparation includes delivering your, bo your body from your old person with his deeds and cast him out, thrust him out of your body with noise to hell and make you 
glorious upon this earth and victorious where you will have the stronghold of incorruption and you will shake the entire religious world and the rest of the world and this will be the greatest evangelism that will happen right before rapture that the world has never yet seen this will be the greatest harvest of souls that the Lord waited for amen let us pray I'm going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He's not against you. He's upon this place to take the burden of sin from you, to cleanse you from sin, to justify you, to cast it into hell, to blot it out of his mind, hit your sin, and give you a new hope, give you joy. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God. This is a sign that God likes to see when you stretch out your hands, spread out your hands to Him without doubt and anger. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my shame, dependence from sin, with my illnesses, with my fear, with my imperfection with my bad character that I hate I hate my old person I'm tired of fighting with him I pray in the name of Jesus Christ may he be thrusted out with noise my old person into hell may in its place the stronghold of life be erected I thank you Lord I open up my heart enter in as the Lord and master of my life in the power of your spirit and may I receive your healing in the rays of your rising sun I thank you for the word that I have. I received it. And now, according to your word, right now, I want to proclaim <clears throat> that I am washed, that I am cleansed, that I am healed, that I am restored, that I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May the blessing of the ancient hills and the valley, eternal valleys, be upon you. May the Lord show his glory upon you and may all the works of hell be destroyed under your feet may you stand upon your enemy upon the serpent and the enemy may all this blessings be upon you and your children and be fulfilled upon you and the nation shall say amen Every time when we come to worship, we receive deliverance and we stand before God pure and guiltless and the devil will come and bring you what has passed. But he, if he brought it, then God, you have to remember that God opens up 
this his your book and says, see, I don't see these sins. The devil doesn't believe in the cleansing by the blood of the Lamb and justification. He continuously accuses us and brings about sins that we have repented for. Uh, it's unfortunate that the nation of God, there's enough these of these unfortunate vessels that reveal sins of men that were done somewhere somehow that they had long repented for and so when some kind of prophet prophetess begins to reveal something that is a sin of another no this is a false prophet people in the old testament would stone such people the nation of god needs to do that too deliver themselves free themselves from these people i thank god that we are free from these false prophets right now enjoy are going to proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever Amen